Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we're here with episode 70 of Mouse Madness. Oh. I can't believe we've gotten this far. Um, but we're winding down 2020 at last. This strange, unusual year is finally coming to an end. It seemed like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about when it comes to Disney in 2020. But surprisingly, there's a whole lot to look back on. Yeah, there is. And and with that comes the topic of this week's bracket. We are going to be talking about the best Disney thing of 2020. Now, we did a similar show to this last December uh, when we broke down the best Disney thing of the 2010s. We're running it back, but just talking about this crazy year. And to help us look back on this crazy and unusual year is Mouse Madness listener, Michael. Michael, what is going on? What is up, boys? So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, hopping on with us. You've you've been a, a big part of the MoMAD Nation, and we appreciate you making the time to talk a little bit about this crazy year. Uh, and before we dive into our regularly scheduled broadcast here, it's time to talk a little bit of a listener email. Uh, Chris, buckle up, because we got roasted. <laughs> It's not pretty. I know who sent it, and uh, just just lay it on me. Yeah. All right. So this one comes from a friend of the pod, past guest host Tess. Uh, she had texted me during the holiday bracket uh, as she was listening along, and she had some thoughts. And I said, "Throw them in an email for us and let us have it." So she did just that. She says, "Hey guys, this email is regarding part one of your Disney holiday movie bracket. Also, you guys are." gluten for punishment considering kyle requested i send this uh rebuttal so sorry i brought this upon us so she's she begins <laughs> she begins the rant with wow wowie wow wow i was having a great time listening to this episode until the final matchup when you shared your actual trash opinions about one of my favorite holiday movies of all time beauty and the beast enchanted christmas parentheses besides the rightfully crowned winner the santa claus I think I would have been so heated listening to the episode if you hadn't completely ignored the fact that the one and only Tim Curry voiced one of the scariest villains of all time. Shame. Shame. She continues. Now, I get that Kyle has a difficult time getting past the whole Belle being held a prisoner theme of Beauty and the Beast storyline, which leaves a bad taste in his mouth regarding anything to do with this franchise. That is completely fair. But what if you were to look at this movie with the lens of a sheltered man-turned-beast with limited social skills, who, like the Grinch, learns to love about the spirit of Christmas from the kind people around him. Sure. Sure. <laughs> That's an interesting comparison. I mean, it's not wrong, I guess. No, it's not. It's not. It's an angle. It's definitely an angle. Moving on, the songs in this movie were not bad. Okay, so she gets to it. That is inaccurate. As long as there's Christmas, as joyful and beautiful as it gets, especially with the reprise when Paige O'Hara and Bernadette Peters sing in harmony. You can't possibly deny that. No, I can deny it. I did not like that song. 
Halfway through here, she says, My brain cannot comprehend how Babes in Toyland, a completely sexist trash of a movie with outdated and inappropriate cultural depictions, could possibly move past Beauty and the Beast. You guys usually throw away the trash and you let this one slide. Out of all the hills to die on, this was the one you chose? Why? You said that Babes in Toyland at least had some Christmas in it, but it didn't come until the very end. Beauty and the Beast's theme is literally about Christmas. It's the most Christmas storyline ever, trying to convince the Scroogey character to understand the spirit of Christmas with happy music, Christmas ornaments everywhere. It's objectively a better Christmas film. I knew that was coming. Is that <laughs> it? Is there, is there more? I feel like there's, there's one, more. There's one more paragraph. One oh, more, one more paragraph of the, of the hurt. <laughs> now to return to the subject of my email. I feel like you completely missed Forte's character motives. And I would, so I'd like to share what Mandy, Mandy's a former guest host. She was on uh, some of our Disneyland-centric uh, podcasts. I'd like to share what Mandy and I discussed when we watched it. Chris said that Forte didn't want the beast to fall in love because he didn't want everyone to be human again because humanity is overrated. No, his motives were so much more than that. Think back to the flashback of the Christmas when the Enchantress came to the castle. The beast slash prince was treating everyone like especially Forte. He didn't give them the time of day and didn't care at all about the piece he wrote for him. Now that he's stuck as the beast forever and alone in the castle, he takes comfort in the music Forte plays. Forte now has a purpose for the beast and doesn't want to lose that. You can even take it a step further and say that he's insanely jealous of Belle, not just because he wants to feel needed, but because he has feelings for the beast. So him throwing a hissy fit and tearing the castle in half was his tragic love story. If he couldn't have the be- if he couldn't have the beast, then no one could. Whichever way you look at it, he was a manipulative man who didn't know how to relate to others in a healthy way. If you read this entire email on air, I apologize to the listeners for my rant, but I am not sorry for loving this movie. Yes, I have huge nostalgia bias, but I also have good points. <laughs> All of this is sent with love. Also, thanks for the stickers. Go get your stickers. I loved getting a chance to support the pod. Happy holidays. Hope you have a safe and happy new year. Best wishes, Tess. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize that uh, people had one seen this movie and two had feelings about it, but Tess let us know that uh, her and Mandy felt it. <laughs> she didn't have me at all until the very end there when it became a jilted lover story. And like, now it makes sense because... Okay. Uh, People are willing to do some crazy things to get evens with people who's broken their hearts before. And so that would make way more sense than just him being obsessed with death and everyone dying. Yeah, I feel it. Those are those are great points being raised by our friend Tess. So Tess, thank you for writing in. And if you want to write in, uh, go ahead and send us an email at mousemanispodcast at gmail.com. We'll read it on the air just like this. It can roast us just as hard as that. Uh, we're willing to take it. We we only give the takes. They're never. They're not always right. <laughs> All right, Chris. Let's talk a little bit about what we are sipping on tonight and our spoonful of sugar. Yeah. So uh, for better or for worse, we are talking about Taylor Swift this week on Mouse Madness. <laughs> um, I don't know that we're ever going to get an opportunity to do that again. So I was in the grocery store today looking for some inspiration, um, and I found myself a Betty IPA from Hangar 24, which is a California-based brewery in, in Redlands. And Betty's my favorite song on Folklore, but much like the Folklore 
live studio sessions from Long Pond, this beer is not very good. So uh, it's kind of fitting perfectly. <laughs> Kyle, what about you? Oh, man. Well, you notice how I uh, I saved a spoonful of sugar for after the email because I felt like we needed to really you know, take the edge off of what we just got handed to us. And I'm doing that with a beer called Plum Jam uh, from Jackrabbit Brewing Company in Sacramento. I we recently supported some of the local breweries around here by purchasing this like twelve days of beermas or twelve beers of Christmas. Uh, open up a beer a day. This is the one for today, and uh, it turns out that it is a kettle sour. One I've never heard of a kettle sour before, and two I do not like sours. Uh, it's a it's a plum sour, and I'm not having a good time with it. But <laughs> I wish I, I could trade I, you beers through the screen right now, because that <laughs> yeah, sounds like right up my alley. Yeah, we're 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 having each other spoonful of sugar for some reason, but you know I'm gonna power through it and hopefully have something a little bit better for uh, part two of this bracket. Michael, what you got over there? All right, guys. So I knew that I had to come up with something, and mm-hmm. the listeners may not know this, but I'm a huge Mandalorian fan. I am a okay. baby Yoda till you die kind of person. So <laughs> I came up, first of all, with this mug. Listeners may not be able to see it, but it is a tiki baby Yoda mug. And inside sure it, is. I have a good amount of Tito's vodka and some lime seltzer <laughs> and a little bit of soda water. And I am calling it the baby Yoda soda. Ah, that's a beautiful name. Perfect. It's a beautiful name. <laughs> Came so prepared. Good. Came prepared with the mouse madness name for your spoonful of sugar. I love it. I love the mug. Big tiki guys, as you know. So this is, you're, you're fitting right in with spoonful of sugar. All right, folks. So we are talking the best Disney thing of 2020. Uh, and in order to find our bracket of 16, we had to find a demographic to send the interns to go survey. And this week was a doozy for this bracket. Uh, we chose people who are offering their takes when Disney teased the new Snow White's Enchanted Wish at Disneyland. Now, unless you lived under a rock, uh, you may have seen that on December 21st, Disney announced that uh, they are renaming Snow White's Scary Adventures at Disneyland. Uh, We knew that the renovation was coming. We didn't necessarily know that a name change was hitting us so quick. And they hit us with it. They hit us with some teasers. Uh, They hit us with... Uh, a little bit of scene changes and it was all the rage to talk about and make fun of on social so it was not that hard for the interns to find folks to reach out to i was really surprised to find so many supportive comments on instagram Mm -hmm. disney posted a photo of the dopey with uh diamonds in his eyes and casual disneyland fan might not realize that that is literally an exact show scene from seven dwarfs mind train and magic kingdom (laughs) you sent me that post kyle and i was at the beach and i almost threw my phone into the ocean i was like (laughs) i was hoping for something new but now we're just getting a carbon copy so yeah uh, i mean super thrilled about it yeah, I mean, at least for that scene, it'll definitely be a, a very similar feel. Michael, how'd you feel about it when you saw the announcement earlier this week? Yeah, so um, obviously I'm much more in touch with Disney World, but I mean, I didn't really have much of an opinion. I think I've been on that ride one time when I was at Disneyland, so and it was a long time ago. But uh, I honestly, I don't have much of an opinion on it. Yeah, that's how I felt too. I didn't care. 
people had some real strong opinions and I just did not care. We knew this thing was going to be renovated like and I didn't know that people had such a a tight attachment to the ride itself, but I think that's just what happens when something that is like quote unquote opening day original attraction uh whenever any of that kind of stuff gets changed, people like to throw a fit about it and that's what happened. So we have 16 picks from these people online given some reactions to the change of snow white scary adventures but that means a few did not make the dance so chris what is one that missed the dance for you one for me is the disney plus original film star girl which came out in january or february of this year this was the first movie that i noticed was like new as a disney plus exclusive that was released after all of like the launch day materials. I was like, oh, okay. So like we're getting we're getting new movies. I gave it a watch, I think, the weekend that it came out, and it was trash. It was it was horrible. <laughs> um it's unfortunate because I love Grace Vanderwalt, who plays the title character. She's an incredible musician. Her acting skills are fine. It's just like the story was a little bit weird in their treatment of it. I think it comes from like a Jerry Spinelli young adults book or children's chapter book something i don't know uh would not recommend it but if you have absolutely nothing else to do i guess give it a shot uh kyle what about you for me is a little bit of a west coast bias uh it was the fact that after all of these closures and in california being locked down and opened and locked down uh disney found a way to open up one of vista street for like a week uh in disney california adventure serving food and dining and snacks and and shopping and folks who go into the park uh, to a certain extent and feel a little bit of that park, West Coast Park magic, uh, literally like a week after they had opened up with all of the the frills, California shut back down. So they no longer sell food. The food that they do is prepackaged and you have to take it off site in order to even eat it. So now it's just a, an extension of downtown Disney, an extension of a shopping district. The, all of the shops are open, but you can't really do anything else. So it's a bummer. Uh, I It was very hyped. We've talked about it on this podcast, so it, it missed the dance for me. Michael, did you see anything that did not make this bracket of 16 that you feel was pretty significant in the year 2020? Yeah, so I'm going to go back to Star Wars again. Surprise, surprise. Uh-huh. And I'm going to say the last season of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. It, uh, I know some people saw it, and we may talk about it on the on the podcast a little later, but there's a certain character in Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and that final season kind of wrapped up her story. Spoiler, it's Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> and they wrapped up her story, and the finale of that season was so epic because you kind of get a little vader at the end and so i definitely think that was kind of a shining spot that uh unfortunately missed the dance for sure uh and like you said we'll talk some more star wars as we go through this episode cannot wait to get to it so let's not delay any further and announce our field of 16 best disney things of 2020 we're going to be talking about Let's go ahead and cue that dramatic music, and let's let her rip. Main Street was closed, but Wall Street was lit. Coming in at number one is Disney's Investor's Day presentation. 
Landing at the number two seed from a galaxy far, far away is Rise of the Resistance at Disneyland. It was the best of Bob's, it was the worst of Bob's. Coming in at number three is Bob Chapek's Walt Disney Company Takeover. Nothing can stop Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway from chugging its way into our number four spot. Better late than never, fighting its way into the number five spot is 2020's Mulan. If you ain't talking money, I don't wanna talk. Coming in at a crisp $30 upcharge is the number six seed, Premier Access on Disney+. Production quality the whole family can enjoy. Zooming into the number seven spot is Disney Family Singalongs. Grow going, going, gone, and into our number eight seed is the season two of The Mandalorian. Calling out dreamers! Floating into the number nine spot is the debut of Magic Happens at Disneyland. Let me tell you, you definitely learned what his name is, man. Coming in at the tenth seed is Daddy Lynn in Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. Literally another teacup ride. Coming in at number 11 is the opening of the Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast at Tokyo Disneyland. Sitting at the number 12 seed is a true mood forever. It is Black as King on Disney+. Plus. My tears ricochet while watching our number 13 seed. It's Folklore, the Long Pond Studio Sessions. This was 2020? Sneaking its way into the 14th seed is Pixar's Onward. Should Br'er Acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Dropping into the number 15 spot is the Splash Mountain Refurbishment Announcement. It's Space Jam, but we're making it Disney. Rounding out our best Disney thing of 2020 is the NBA bubble at Walt Disney World. Ho oh, ho! Man, I'll tell you, Chris, uh, we had some stretches here <laughs> because 2020 was really a lockdown year. So for the NBA bubble to sneak in at the 16th seed is pretty impressive to me. It is, but honestly, looking back on all of the things that happened in the NBA bubble, all the stories to come from it, what it meant for the country at the time, really a meaningful thing that is directly tied into Disney. So I'm happy to be talking about it. I'm happy to be talking about all of these 16 things. Michael, any early favorites for you as we get into this bracket? Um, baby Yoda. <laughs> Mandalorian. Um, yeah, I, I think they all have a nice, fair chance. I'm going to be completely biased in my picks, and yeah, let's go. Yes, yeah, so let's get let's get this thing on the roll here, and uh, we're going to talk the number one seed Investors Day uh, versus number sixteen, the NBA d- bubble. So we briefly talked about Investors Day uh, in a previous bracket during the holiday bracket. Uh, we actually had to cut out our full discussion, and I don't really want to have that full discussion because it's a lot to talk about. Um, but basically, for once again, if you lived under a rock, Disney uses this day to announce to their investors what's coming up in the next three to four years. Uh, they want to give them a preview of all the things they're working on and, and get the investors excited uh, to cash in on some of these big projects. Uh, since everything's basically shut down, this was really a focus on content. It was a huge, huge focus on uh, what's to come on Disney+. Plus what's going to come out of the movie studios and hopefully into theaters. And then what's happening with all of these acquired properties from the, the Fox deal. This was a huge day because afterwards stocks shot up for Disney. Uh, people were excited. This was, it did what they wanted it to do. 
So I think it's interesting that they chose this day. I think it's interesting that they wanted to end 2020 on this. And I think it was a good move because 2020 was a rough year for the company, uh, but it also fell a little tone deaf, you know? They're investing a lot of energy and resources into things four years away, but they aren't paying some of the people that have been there forever uh, on like their parks and entertainment side. And we'll get more into that when we talk about the Bob takeover. <laughs> On the other side from it is the NBA bubble. And this is the like poster child for sports restarts in my mind. NBA has always been at the forefront of everything. This, they were at the forefront of starting up sports play during a pandemic. They essentially just used their deal with ESPN to get in touch with the Disney company and be like, this, it makes sense if we were to just play at the, uh, wide world of sports in in Orlando, and everybody was like, "Yeah, let's let's absolutely do it." So uh, they they created a bubble where they kicked everybody out. The parks were closed, anyways. NBA teams came in, uh, and they were able to continue their 2020 season with an eight game mini tournament to determine the playoff seeding, and then they ultimately crowned a champion. You had players like Robin Lopez, uh, who was documenting their day to day like escapades at the Walt Disney Resort, which was an awesome way for us Disney fans to see it from a different lens, although Robin is a huge Disney fan. And then you also had people like Chris Paul, who was complaining about the state of hotel rooms uh, on his Instagram. Uh, it's like families pay thousands of dollars to stay in these Chris Paul. Sorry that we're not these like multimillionaire basketball players. You had chaos, like players sneaking other people into the bubble and being kicked out for leaving for strip clubs. You also had uh, the innovations that Disney is so well known for uh, with their camera angles and what they're able to do with empty courts and empty stadiums. So that was a really great thing to see ESPN, which I kind of consider, quite honestly, a dying leader of the sports world. Uh, and that really put them back on the map as to pivoting how they're perceived in the, in the sports world. Uh, the most notable thing that I can pick out of here from like a Disney perspective is that Disney staff actually got to uh, still work during this time if you worked at like these resorts, um, but you didn't have to stay in the bubble. And that's significant because, you know, the whole purpose of bubbles to keep everything contained, but they're letting people from the outside come in. But we didn't see any outbreaks. And that's like significant because every other sports league had outbreaks what felt like every single week. So Disney did it right uh, with their regulations, with their staffing. It was a successful event. And it was, I think we're going to look at that in years to come. But for me, Chris, the best Disney thing of the 2020s is the Investor's Day, only because it is so Disney in this thing. Like the NBA bubble just happened to happen at a Disney resort or a Disney property, but there wasn't a whole lot of Disney ness to it other than that so i'm i'm choosing investors day so i have interesting feelings about investor day because on the one hand i agree with you in that it's very disney and it gets a lot of people excited about disney also this year was so terrible for so many people so many got excited about the future on that evening and in the days preceding it it was like we're going back to normal and we're going to get all of these shows and it's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. And while I think we're going to get a lot of them, the reality is we're not going to get some of them. 
Yeah. And so the investor day presentation to me kind of feels like that friend you have who used to drink a lot with in college. And now every time you see them, they have a different entrepreneur idea. And it's like, (laughs) you know, I got a great idea I want to talk to you about. And it's a great idea, but you have to do it for it to actually like make any impact on anything. So the easy part is going up on that stage and saying, oh, look at this idea we had. And this graphic designer made a logo that makes it look legit and like it's definitely going to happen. But the reality is most of these announcements, they're in the very, very early stages of developments. Like, I don't even know if they're contracts have been signed for some of these creators that they're announcing are attached to them. So announcing so many of these things so prematurely just makes me kind of cringe a little bit. But obviously the reason they're doing that is because it is an investor day and to get some money going into the stock. So I get it. The NBA bubble was a content machine in in so many (laughs) ways. I mean, you just have to go on that from the NBA bubble Twitter account and just that stuff's going to exist forever. Whether it's LeBron walking into the lunch area going, Taco Tuesday! (laughs) Or, you know, uh, people getting into their ice baths around the swimming pools at any one of the Disney resorts they were staying at. NBA players on the golf course driving Mickey golf carts around. Or just doing what most players were doing during that bubble period, which was playing a lot of video games. A lot of it. It was content when there wasn't a lot of content to be had. People were still trying to figure out like what can be made. And here you have boots on the ground, getting some good Instagram stories, good TikToks going. So I really appreciate the bubble. Also, just as a sports fan, um, it was so great to, to see them return and to see uh, also their reaction to all of the social situations that were happening outside of the bubble. Uh, I think we have to mention that as well. They completely stopped games for a couple of days in the name of social justice. So uh, there was a lot of good to come out of the bubble. Yeah. I agree with you that it's not super Disney, but when I look back on 2020, I would be more apt to think of the NBA bubble than think of Investor Day. Just one day towards the end of the year to get us hyped on a year that's not 2020. I'd rather have something that actually happened this year advance. So I'm at, <laughs> I'm going to advance the NBA bubble, which means Michael's up right at the very beginning. You're going to have to break the one versus 16 tie here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, fun fact, I actually went to Disney World while the NBA Finals were going on. So, I saw the wall that surrounded the Grand Floridian. And how anybody managed to get in or out of that just bewilders me, honestly. And both of y'all make great points. Um, The Disney Investors Day was really cool because it was just one of those days where you know, they threw so much at you, so much Disney. And, you know, for people like us, that, that was a good day. It made us, you know, kind of happy for a little bit in such a, you know, kind of terrible year overall. But the NBA bubble did so much good, I think, during the for society. You know, the Lakers winning after Kobe passing away, you know, all the social justice and just kind of bringing sports back to the country. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going with the upset, and I am going to move what? on the NBA bubble. What is Let's this go, baby! Start? What is yeah. this chaotic start? Uh, I'm sorry, Bobby. 
Shout out to Rashawn Holmes, who somehow got around that wall to get his DoorDash food and had to quarantine mm-hmm. for 10 days after that. And Jimmy uh, Butler selling $20 cups of coffee. Just there's just there's <laughs> Kyle, there's so there's many so good much. stories that happen yeah, there. Like, I, I mean, I get Disney's all about good storytelling, and there is perhaps <laughs> no better story in 2020 than the, all of the things that happened in the NBA bubble. But let's leave that behind for now and move on to our next matchup where it is the number eight seed Mandalorian season two versus number nine magic happens. Magic happens. We talked a lot about in our best Disney parade bracket. If you missed that one, cause it was a while ago, please go back and listen. It was my favorite episode we've ever done. And it was so fun to research for magic happens. Spoiler was the winner of that bracket. And it's also the newest parade at Disneyland. It's just so good. The music composition by Todrick Hall is flawless. The parades, the dancers, even just the length of the parade, it just all feels so perfect. There aren't a whole lot of flaws to pick out other than maybe the Frozen float. Yes. (laughs) Like, it's not great, and Frozen's a little bit played out at this point. Also, Merlin dancing around, not wearing any pants, questionable decision. But it's still a really fun parade. Uh, It's great. This was back at the beginning of the year, obviously, when the parks were still open. It was pre-pandemic. So it got us really excited to see some of the other Disney entertainment things coming to the parks, uh, including Epcot's new Nighttime Spectacular. They've been kicking around ideas for a new parade at Magic Kingdom as well for a while. So Magic Happens was hype, man. It's going up against the Mandalorian season two, which buckle up, everybody, buckle up. Chris you know, has some thoughts. Get your seatbelts ready because uh, Mandalorian season two for me was a roller coaster ride. Yeah. Listen, I have my finger on the trigger when it comes to hating Star Wars. Like I grew up <laughs> loving the original trilogy, watched it every single day. I even like the prequel trilogy because it came out when I was like young enough to not know good movies and bad movies. Like I was into it. Have not liked anything, literally anything they've done with Star Wars since then. Except for Mandalorian season one. It was so great. I really enjoyed season one. It was a format that for me, as someone who's not like diehard Star Wars, read all of the books, watch the Cartoon Network shows... Using only movies knowledge, I could enjoy it. There's like just enough in there where like there's lore that I recognize, but nothing in it that just makes me really confused. It felt a lot like a Western where a character comes into town. The town's having a problem. They ask for his help. He solves the problem and he leaves. It's great for an episodic TV series because you can never run out of steam. Just come up with a new situation that your character walks into. I feel like I've been talking about Star Trek a lot on this podcast lately, but like (laughs) Star Trek, the greatest sci-fi TV series ever, do it that way because it's just a perfect way to tell stories that can last you for nine seasons, ten seasons. If you have a bad episode, doesn't matter. The next episode is something entirely different, so it could be the best episode ever. When you have like a serial type series, it's easy to write yourself into a corner. Don't like what the characters are doing. So I don't really have any investment in the show anymore. It's how you get people to quit. So you want people to be coming back to your series. And Mandalorian season one mostly did a pretty good job um, creating these like unique 
one-off scenarios in their episodes. So season two drops and it dropped on time, I should mention. And I was very surprised that it did that um, with all of the things that happened in the last year. It dropped on time, which was really cool. I did not watch season two as it was releasing. So I was seeing people's reactions to it on Twitter and I was not optimistic. Just seeing people super hyped about characters coming back. Oh, Boba Fett's back. Ahsoka Tano's back. Bo-Katan's here. I'm like, I, this is not the type of Star Wars I'm here for. Like, I don't <laughs> like these cameo appearances and these fan service type moments because it loses people like me who don't get it. Or it takes away from, like, your more important things in a TV show, like characters and relationships and that kind of stuff. So I was so, so skeptical to watch season two, but I did it and I was very surprised. I was very, very into it. And the introduction of those characters that I don't recognize from the TV series, it wasn't very distracting or confusing to me at all. So I was very appreciative of that. A couple of highlight episodes for me include the very first episode uh, where yes. Timothy Oliphant plays the guy who t- stole Boba Fett's armor. How Boba Fett's alive, I don't know. Maybe it's explained <laughs> in a Star Wars book somewhere. But last I checked, he got eaten by a giant sandworm. And I don't know, maybe he sounds shot like his way out of there. I don't, I don't sounds know. like we're about to learn in this next spinoff series. <sighs> Anyways... <laughs> I love that episode because it was just it was just fun. It was just a fun episode of TV. It independent of it being Star Wars. But I think my favorite episode of the whole season was the second to last episode, chapter 15, where they were on that mining planet and they were trying to deliver the radioactive material. Just so good. Like so yeah. intense. And then when they get to the base and they are having that little sit down with the Imperial officer. Like that scene was straight out of Inglorious Bastards, first of all. But like, I mean, that doesn't it, make it a bad scene. No. And it, like, what a pleasant surprise to see Bill Burr in this like very serious moment. And we got arguably the most character development out of like Bill Burr's character in that one episode than we did it out of a lot of the other characters throughout the entire series. Like they did such a good job with his character. And like, that's what star Wars needs is people sitting down and having a conversation about the themes in star Wars. Like that's how you develop anything. And everyone always says empire strikes back is the best star Wars episode. And it's because it does so much of that, so much slowing down and being like, let's talk about your destiny and what is destiny and relationships and all of that stuff. And so to see that in this episode of Mandalorian, I was like, bravo. That was one of my favorite episodes of TV ever. And I don't throw that Mm. around very loosely. Wow. And then the last episode happened and it all went completely out the freaking door. (laughs) I would give Mandalorian season two, the first seven episodes, a 9.5 out of 10. And the last episode was like a two out of 10. It was the worst (laughs) thing I've ever seen. Oh my goodness. From just an episode perspective, so bad. You have these like weird, invincible droid bots and Mandalorian himself, who is invincible also because he has Beskar armor, both extremely problematic (laughs) character traits. (laughs) 
Listen, Achilles has a heel for a reason in the Iliad because it creates suspense and drama. Like, you can't just have two invincible people like punching each other in the face and no one's face breaks because they're, oh, they both have crazy powers and crazy armor. Oh my God. Like, that doesn't make for a good fight scene. <laughs> like, there has to be a little bit of like, oh no, he better not get hit in the throat because that's his weak spot. Like, it's right. that's like storytelling 101. And then my boy Luke Skywalker shows up, and oh my <laughs> god. I was laughing so hard, I had tears streaming down my face because oh, it was disrespect. so, so insulting the disrespect. to all of us. Because so much of the criticism surrounding like new Star Wars was from both sides. Like the people that are hardcore purists and the people that are hardcore let's change everything. Is like, why does Star Wars have to be about the Skywalkers all the time? Like, can we... There are other Jedis out there, right? And there's this whole universe. Why are we so focused on this little tiny story of this small group of people? And I love that Mandalorian didn't have any of that. Like, there were things happening kind of, like, adjacent to the Empire and all that. And, that, and like, that was the sweet spot. And then they bring in Luke. And now it's like... There it goes. It's gone. Like, I have no reason to watch this show anymore because it's just going to be the adventures of Luke and Grogu, and I don't want to watch that. <laughs> and I don't want to watch Mandalorian without Grogu and Mando. So, like, <laughs> I'm really sad about it. Regardless, I'm giving it to The Mandalorian Season 2 because Whoa. Magic Happens is something that really only existed for a very, like, niche group of people like us who appreciate parades hardcore Disneyland and the Mandalorian is something that was so beloved by so many people that needed good content in 2020. So I'm advancing it here. Yeah, we, we dove in. I actually ended up like semi flipping in the parades bracket uh, because I was not on board to magic happens mostly because I was a hater of the first part of that soundtrack. And I kind of still am the, the parade starts off in a way that I absolutely despise. Uh, but it's definitely grown on me since I love all of the parts of it, except for really frozen as you brought up. And also you got to love that uh, the parades director actually listened to our parade bracket and tweeted us a shout out. So uh, shout out Jordan Peterson and the entire magic happens crew for your guys's amazing parade. And I'm sorry that you only got a couple of weeks of it because uh, this parade uh, opened up like three weeks before the park shut down. So there was a very limited run uh for this parade and it, it made quite the impact on disney fans i think that was great and i hope that if disneyland is kind of doomed to not open up in the next like what eight months or so that they're able to like shift that parade to the east coast and uh give magic kingdom a little uh magic happens and maybe it'll become like some sort of nighttime spectacular for them mandalorian uh i've said it thousand times and i'll say it again not a big star wars guy never was probably will never will be because it's too intimidating to learn all of the canon and i don't really feel like taking the time i'm like you i love this western thread big time that first episode i was like boy we're back we're back we're going on adventures baby <laughs> like it's gonna be like he's gonna be solving problems and he's gonna be kicking butt and it's gonna be awesome and the the all the while he's protecting this little Yoda thing, and it's gonna be mwah. It's gonna be awesome. The best was uh, when they had the tiny little like scale 
model of the crate dragon and they were like moving around little beans as, <laughs> as like tag like building a little army and they're like grunting at each other yelling about it um i'm really sad that we didn't get a ton of moff gideon in this uh because i love um giancarlo esposito so much because he plays such a great villain in everything that he's ever in because he's just so as we've talked about countless times about villains he's shifty he has nothing behind his eyes and you don't really know what his plan is and that's scary and he does such a good job at that so like for the entire first part of the season to not even see him i was like man if we get one episode with this guy and that's it, like this is gonna suck. <laughs> I also want to see what the dark saber do though. So, uh, so I'm enjoying the entire season. I don't know who Ahsoka Tana is. I don't know who any of these characters are. They're great though. Uh, Boba Fett comes back and I'm like, that's kind of dope. I don't even really remember what his storyline was from the original. He like, doesn't have one because nothing. he didn't need one. Not everyone needs an origin story. Oh my God, Disney, stop with these. So nothing mattered to me. Nothing mattered to me. I was just in this one storyline. And then the end happens and like, I don't know. People had really strong feelings both ways. You who laugh cried because it was so dumb and others who were like, thank you for like tying it to something and and fixing the the rise of skywalker by doing whatever that even means uh i didn't care i was just like dope we got to see a jedi like swing a lightsaber and and now there was like this touching moment at the end and i'm like fine with it i'm cool uh it honestly could end there and i'd just be like mandalorian was great (laughs) so uh my feelings obviously aren't as strong as yours. Uh, I enjoyed The Mandalorian. I enjoy these Westerns. And I honestly can't uh, see myself breaking Michael's heart this early on in the show. So I'm going to go ahead and also advance The Mandalorian Season 2 Past Magic Happens, which was a great flash in the pan. And I hope we see more of it. But for what Mandalorian did for so many people in this crazy year, uh, I think it's the better Disney thing. Michael, I have a feeling that you are happy that uh, baby Grogu's moving on. Yeah, I'm happy the the child is safe for now. Um, But yeah, (laughs) Magic Happens was, I mean, I was surprised at how much I actually liked it. I'm really not a parade person. I'm not somebody that, you know, stakes out a spot and really takes the time to enjoy the parade. But um, watching the YouTube video, it was uh, was surprisingly good. And I think I may have watched it when y'all did the parade bracket just to kind of check out what the winner was. But uh, yeah, the really, the soundtrack was really good. Even the frozen part. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only part that bothered me was Merlin. That was, that was uncalled okay. for. There are children out Merlin's there. Back. I mean, come on, put some pants Get on, man. Back. It's not that hard. <laughs> Hashtag let Merlin dance. We move down the bracket to number four, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. First, number 13, Taylor Swift's documentary on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Chris, I revealed this to you yesterday. I was not planning on watching the Taylor Swift documentary, and I did not. Uh, I had no interest. I didn't feel it was much of a Disney thing. Uh, so I really hope that you also feel that way because I want to save my discussion about Mickey and Minnie for the next episode because I have some some thoughts about that too. Uh, but just by default, I'm moving Mickey and Minnie's on because it's, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. So first of all, it's not 
a Taylor Swift documentary. It is a studio session recording of the folklore album from Taylor Swift's house? Question mark. Okay. She invited her two collaborators on the album. One's the dude from the National, or one of the dudes from the National, and one is Jack Antonoff, who you may recognize from the band Fun. Tonight okay. we are young. Um, Beautiful. Jack Antonoff was the highlight of this, like <laughs> mini movie live session thing for me. Um, so basically, what they did was the three of them would discuss a song. And then it would show them like playing the song in her little studio. Um, And it would go in order of the track list. And like they all wrote together on songs. So it was interesting, I guess, to listen to them talk about their songwriting. But it would only be interesting if you like love Taylor Swift. Uh, If if you had never heard this album before or weren't really a Swifty, I don't think this would be of any enjoyment to anyone. But Jack Antonoff, when he is playing his guitar or any instrument during these studio sessions, the look on his face is like he didn't know how to play an instrument and he picked it up and just somehow knew and he's really surprised about it. He's like... (laughs) It's great. And if y'all don't know what Jack Antonoff actually looks like, he looks like a cross between Rick Moranis and the guy who's the voice of Forky and is also Buster in Arrested <laughs> Development. Hale. Yes, Tony Hale. <laughs> it looks like a cross of those two, Jack Antonoff. Like I said, he's the highlight. So like going into this, if you were going to ask me how big of a Taylor Swift fan you are, a one being I've literally never heard a Taylor Swift song and I don't want to hear one, and number 10 being I have a Taylor Swift stan account and I have tweet notifications for Kanye West turned on. <laughs> I would say I'm like a seven or an eight. Like I'm a, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. Like I listen to her music regularly. I listen to her albums beginning to end. I wait for her albums to release at 12 o'clock Eastern time and play them right away so that I can like tweet about and discuss her music. And as someone who loves Taylor Swift that much, I still did not like this thing. Like I was fast forwarding through it. I'm like, I don't, I don't care about this at all. Like, wow. I just, I just don't. I mean, it might be partially because I didn't love the folklore album. Yeah. I think Taylor Swift is best served as a pop or country artist. And she kind of went with like a folk storytelling type vibe in folklore. And some of the songs are amazing. A few of them I think are just too moody and it's moody song, moody song, moody song, moody song, moody song. And it just kind of gets repetitive to me. Got it. So I didn't love it. Um, like you said, the t- connection between this and Disney is very, very loose, generous at best. I would say like, oh, Disney's business is telling good stories. That's what Taylor Swift's business as well as a songwriter. She's a great songwriter above all else. So that's kind of her vibe. So there's maybe some connection, but I'm also advancing Mickey and Minnie's Runaway of Railway. So we could talk about that on the next episode. Michael, any love for Taylor Swift? I mean... I I got through the documentary. Um, I like Taylor Swift okay. I actually saw her in concert like back when she was country. Nice. And again, she, she's okay. But I, I I kind of felt the same way. I I saw myself fast forward fast forwarding through parts and 
it just kind of wasn't my type of music that I like to listen to. And it just kind of seemed like she was saying, Hey y'all, I wrote an album and then I filmed me making the album and here you go. Hey, let's listen. They'll eat it up. It'll make a billion dollars. So that's kind of how I felt. And like y'all said, Mickey and Minnie says Disney. It's the epitome of Disney. So how could you not move that on? So let's move on to the next matchup. It's number five, Mulan, versus number 12, Black is King. Mulan came out in August, late August, early September. It was supposed to come out in March, like a week after everything shut down. It was so close. I remember seeing Mulan costumes in the local theater that is just down the street from me in New York. And I was so hyped to go because I just subscribed to AMC Stubbs and (laughs) used it to go see Onward. And then like next thing I know, no mas. So we had no Mulan in theaters and we eventually got to see it on Disney Plus during the summer. And we did a mini review on Mulan. We both kind of were like, yeah, it was decent. Like I'm not mad that I spent the money on it, but... Probably won't be revisiting it anytime soon. Really, the best thing for me that came from it was Premiere Access on Disney+, Plus, which is a separate addition to this bracket. So, like, really, Mulan is stripped from the one thing that makes it memorable to me. It's going up against Black is King, which also came out during the summer. If I'm remembering correctly, it was the end of July. And that was as baseball was restarting. So I did not catch Black as King when it came out. So I watched it for the first time in preparation for this discussion. And I was impressed. Wow. I am not a Beyonce listener, traditionally. Mm -hmm. I am not familiar with Lemonade at all. It's a visual album I did not watch. So I went into Black as King pretty blind. All I knew was like there's some connection to The Lion King, which... If anything, Black is King's connection to the Lion King makes it less powerful because it's like, I feel like kind of bringing it down a little bit and like debasing the the high concept discussions that this piece is trying to have. That's yeah. what I call it. I call this a piece. I mean, this is an artistic work by Beyonce and no expense was spared. It is like so huge. I'm not sure if it was just her or just a massive, massive team of people. There's like 25 producer credits on it. So it's probably a lot of different minds uh, in the room. But you can tell that like they just went with any idea Beyonce had. They were like, let's just do it. Yep. <laughs> let's go. Sounds good. <laughs> and that it it works great for this. I mean, there are certain artists who do that and it just goes off the rails. But this one really, really worked for me. It somewhat follows the plot of the lion king in that it's about a young boy who runs away from home and then comes back home and realizes that he should embrace his heritage that's essentially lion king but on the other hand that is so many stories about heroes in the history of literature and film so this was released A year after the Lion King live action came out, she released the Lion King, the gift soon after that movie came out, which was like a curated album from other artists doing music inspired by themes from the Lion King. And so this is a visual album to that. Right. Black as King was in production for over a year. 
I mean, this you can movie tell. came out. Yeah. <laughs> there's <laughs> like a said, lot of elements. <laughs> it is huge. Like, there's a shot where Beyonce is, like, standing on a ladder, and she has hair extensions that go all the way to the floor. <laughs> it's like, dang. Yeah. But this movie came out summer of 2020, like a time of just incredible, beautiful social changes happening and discussions that should have been happening for a long time finally happening that... The timing felt really right for Black is King, but you know it was in production for so much longer before that that I think it was a good thing because this really felt like it came from someone who's been having these thoughts and feelings for a really, really, really long time. Right. Um, it did not feel reactionary at all. It felt entirely organic, which is what made me glued to it. I mean, I could not look away. In terms of like actual story, following the story is kind of difficult. Super but difficult. That's, yeah, Super but that's difficult. really, really not like the strong point of this. It's like the the photography and the cinematography and the costumes and the dancing. That's just like a, it's just a visual stimulation experience. <laughs> it's yeah. like the best way I can describe it. Um, I mean, I would recommend it to anyone. Mulan was really forgettable to me. So I'm rolling with Black as King here. I won't talk too much about Mulan since we did do an entire mini episode about it, but um, I still felt like the character development was shallow. The storyline pretty much checked the boxes in most of the points, and then there were some really awkward acting scenes. Uh, so I, it, it was whatever. Um, Black is King was like really a treat for everybody, and I, I don't know what the original plan was for this, you brought up that it, it came at the very end of July. I believe it was like July 31st. And this was like right in the middle of all of the social justice movements. It was right around the time that the NBA was in talks of starting back up, but didn't know how. Uh, baseball was like, how are we going to also like do things surrounding social justice? Like, And then Beyonce drops this. She dropped a hint on social which is just the power of like that of her platform and everybody was like oh man so like there's this weird feeling for me where i'm super glad that like disney was going to address the issues by letting somebody do it you know instead of like di- instead of like bob Iger holding like a freaking zoom call with his employees or or like a recorded talk dis- a recorded panel discussion hosted by Bob Iger. Instead, they let somebody uh, in the black community like tell their story and what what it's like to be black in America or, or just to be of African descent. And so to, to channel that through Beyonce and host it was a, a smart move, in my opinion. You're right. This was, not only was it a huge set, but it was a lot to just absorb as the entire film was going on uh you kind of wanted to pay attention to everything beyonce was doing and she was doing a lot a lot of costume changes a lot of uh quick cuts a lot of extras that were coming in and and being very engaged and interesting there is also i'm sure a huge financial win for disney plus with this because there's this little known thing called the beyonce effect and the Beyonce effect is when she makes mention of something and that something tends to blow up. And the best case study of that is in 2016, 
when she dropped Formation on Lemonade. She makes a Red Lobster reference. And that year, Red Lobster saw a 33% increase in sales compared to the previous year. That is like a significant like company changing amount of money that's coming in in a a year-over-year standard. Like that's crazy. So I'm sure that like her hinting that this was dropping on Disney Plus really accelerated Disney's like, we're trying to get to 50 million by the end of 2020. And they ended up at like, hundreds of millions so now with everything both on this list and i'm going to talk about controversy again but there's always going to be some sort of controversy especially when you're talking about people right and you're representing people and there is some backlash with beyonce and her portrayal of like nigerians and always portraying them in this like you know heritage state in this primitive state with feathers and face paints and like there's this whole trend of of folks living in nigeria who are like yo we live in like bigger houses than some of y'all do and we have all of these cars and we go to spas every day and like all that kind of stuff and one user even wrote that this narrative is getting boring we don't wake up at, with white chalk on our faces and live in blue huts africa has grown beyond what you just incorporated beyonce so like there's always that, right? There's always that kind of stereotyping when you are dealing with cultures, even if you're from that culture. And so I wanted to call that out uh, just because I think it is important to bring that that discussion. And that's just a, a thing that happens in Hollywood as a whole, right? We're always, Hollywood is awful at portraying anything foreign to America. And this is like just an instance of that, unfortunately, where where we're kind of detached from reality. But that being said, this was a really important piece for the moment for Disney and for Disney Plus. Storytelling was great. Uh, Mulan is not, I don't even think is like the better Mulan. And it was also kind of a disappointing drop, uh, unfortunately. And we brought that up in the mini episode. Uh, we're happy to spend the $30 because we were like, oh, this is exciting. Like this might be a model they're moving to. But like I haven't revisited Mulan and I've actually revisited uh, Black is King along with the the music. So I'm with you, Chris. I'm moving that on. Uh, Michael, any thoughts there? I mean, kind of just what y'all said. Mulan was a good movie. Uh, it was good, but it it's not something that I feel like I'm going to go back and just be super excited to rewatch. And, you know, I definitely paid the $30 the day it came out. I watched it with my family. It was a good time. And, you know, I love, I love how it kind of kept with the theme of, like, incorporating... Mulan's culture, the family, and all of that. And they even kind of widened it a little bit, adding the sister in there and kind of getting much more into the traditional Asian cinematography of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, Black is King was, it was a spectacle, honestly. So I definitely think it deserves to move on. Let's hop over to the other side where we're talking about the number two seed, Rise of the Resistance, uh, that opened up at Disneyland Resort versus number 15, the news that Splash Mountain is getting a renovation uh, to Tiana and Princess and the Frog, which is awesome. So first things first is I have not been on Rise because uh, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I don't know if I've mentioned that at all ever on this podcast, but I'm not a big Star Wars fan. And uh, when Galaxy's Edge was opening up, it was not uh something i was wanting to engage in trying to get into that land at disneyland uh 
So when Rise opened up in this kind of staggered opening that Disney had, uh, whether they planned it or they didn't, uh, it didn't appeal to me. So we talked about uh, Disneyland attractions and we've talked about tracks and soundtracks. And so we've talked about Rise before. I've watched it on uh, on YouTube and it's an awesome ride. Uh, it's one that really puts on the display of Disney's technological advances in the medium of storytelling at parks. Uh, I think that they do a very great job of uh, immersing you in a story from the minute that you enter the queue, which happens other times on this bracket, actually. And I'm super sorry to talk about some of those, but they do a really good job here. And especially like for somebody who's not super into Star Wars, you at least feel like you're somewhere else, right? So you, you can recognize that you're somewhere else even if you don't know where exactly you are <laughs> and you know that you're like, you're about to go on an adventure and see some cool stuff. So I thought that was really cool. At the beginning, this ride did have a lot of operational uh, issues when it first got went online at Disneyland. Uh, it had a lot of shutdowns. It had a lot of issues with the, the loading queue, uh, the digital queue that Disney had to implement for all these crazy openings. So, of course, that's going to happen. I don't think that we should knock it for it, only because this was an ambitious project for Disney to even take on. This is like a 20-minute experience. Like, this is not something that you just hop into a teacup and you ride around and you come back. Like, this is like a full-on experience. So, of course, things are going to happen, in my opinion. Things are going to happen. You're going to not knock the ride for the queue system not working because like that seems like an essential part of someone's experience like with the attraction i i'm not gonna knock it at its launch if it was still happening like three to four months afterwards then sure you should probably get this figured out by now but i don't think at the launch and listen working in tech has changed my entire <laughs> thought process on tech reliability and like humans behind that trying to make it work. So I have a little sympathy in my bias. What did the offices look like while that's, that was all happening and people were like it's, not getting boarding groups and stuff? Yeah, it's the it's the SpongeBob running around with everything on fire. <laughs> Everyone just trying to like put things places and try and make it work, which is so unfortunate. That's so stressful. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's making me stressed. Okay, so we're going to talk about how this is also like Disney's investment into Star Wars, right? They not only have they've shown us that, yo, we're going to like make every spinoff for every character you've ever known and some that you probably don't know. And we're going to continue to make these movies and blah, blah, blah. But they actually like permanently placed them into these parks, which would be... Not so significant if we just gave them a ride or an overlay like they had been where they were overlaying Space Mountain. They have Star Tours that's been there forever. Uh, they were doing these unofficial like Star Wars weekends at Disneyland Resort. Uh, but they like took out a chunk of the property, removed some attractions, diverted the railroad track. This thing is here to stay whether Star Wars dies or not. Uh, on the other side, it's facing off versus the announcement that Splash Mountain is going away and Tiana is moving in. Uh, this kind of feels like that take that both you and Michael had, which was that like, yes, big announcement. Also came during all of the social justice movement stuff in 2020, which I think was really important to address as we're all kind of reflecting on what is wrong with our society when it comes to race. Uh, 
this was a big one, kind of sweeping under the rug the fact that like this ride was based on this movie that was definitely racist in its under and overtones. Uh, no matter what your argument is, I don't care what your argument is, you're wrong because it was. Uh, and it's been proven and it will continue to be proven. It was an important announcement for them to to do. But Chris, I feel like we might have talked about this also on that mini episode was that there was a slight little reactiveness, slight reactiveness. Like they definitely had concept art, but they couldn't tell us a ton more about it. Uh, and it felt like they at the beginning of, of kind of the social justice um, 2020 movement. Uh, they were like, we got it. We got to whip out those paintings. We got to just do it. Someone. It call- was like, it was in blue sky and yeah. they like called it in. They were like, we need those uh, princes and the frogs splash mountain pictures right now. Uh, somebody wake up Tony Baxter. Get it. Wake him up. Somebody, we need to bring him back in, please. We got a ride to renovate. I told you not to call me here anymore. <laughs> uh, so that felt, that feels a little gross, but I'm happy that it's happening and I'm excited for what they can do if they do it right. I hope they're going to do it right. I kind of wish that they diverted a lot of that resources into like the now and like have been attacking it this entire closing period so that like we know things are going to be looking good and that they're actually like tearing out, I don't know, 40 year old animatronics to, to replace, but beggars can't be choosers. Uh, for me, this is like an actual thing versus concept, and I honestly don't want to move on Tiana's Tower of Terror if I don't know it's going to be like <laughs> worthy of me moving on. I'm a little afraid that they're going to mess that up. So I'm gonna. I know that Rise of the Resistance is great. I know the storytelling is there. I know it's a, a dark ride. I know that Disney put it there all into it with their technology. I'm moving Rise on. I got a new name. I got uh, Tiano's Gumbo Drop. <laughs> I think that works. That works pretty good. I'm into um, it. No, I I agree with you. Uh, I would be a hypocrite if I advanced the Splash Mountain news after not advancing the Disney Investor Day. Rise of the Resistance. I think I don't know if that feels super 2020 to me, but definitely it is a thing that actually happened in 2020. So um, I'm agreeing with you, Michael. Have you been on Rise of the Resistance in Florida yet? I have been on Rise of the Resistance in Florida and California, actually. So humble oh, brag, I've baby. Humble brag. <laughs> I mean, they're not any different between the parks. So, so yeah, uh, Rise of the Resistance. I mean, it would, I'm Star Wars all the way, so it would move on for me. And you know, I I understand, and I definitely agree with the controversy with Slash Mountain. But since I was a kid, that was a ride that I'd love to go on every single time that I get to the parks and I'm truly going to miss it. I won't lie because what it always been to me was just kind of a story of these characters. I didn't understand that it was based on, you know, this movie that I don't think really many people have ever seen. And that there were these terrible racist overtones, undertones all about it. And so to me, it was always just a ride with, you know, these cool characters, a catchy song. And then like, a bomb drop. So, <laughs> and I mean, as long as they kind of keep with that, I, I like Princess and the Frog, and I know that Disney's going to do a good job at putting the money they need to in it. And 
it'll be a it'll be a good ride. But Slash Mountain will be missed. I went on it like last week, so nothing has changed right now at Disney World. But, but yeah, hopefully uh, they kind of get on that real soon. Well, if Snow White's Enchanted Wish is any indication, they'll probably just put a different hat on the porcupine and be like, well, man, that's the theme right there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Let's move on to the next matchup. It's number seven, Disney Family Singalongs versus number 10, Hamilton on Disney Plus. Daddy Lynn back in our lives. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. Um, I have stayed completely Hamilton spoiler free my whole life. Like not one song, not one viewing of Hamilton on Disney Plus. Like I'm completely blind on Hamilton. All I know is Lin-Manuel's in it. There's a Hamilton character and an Aaron Burr character. And there's a funny scene with a guy in a king outfit. Um, And then some point where like three women like, are dancing and raise their fists up or something. That's all I know about Hamilton. Nice. I don't know how accurate any of that was, but uh, yeah, you're there. The reason why is because like I live in New York, so I might be naive to think this, but I'm like, I'm going to see Hamilton one day and I want it to be like on the Broadway stage for real. Don't blame you. As of 2020 tickets for Hamilton were still like 300 bucks though. So like Hamilton on Disney plus turned to look really good to me. Right. <laughs> So the important thing is that it's on Disney Plus. Right. That this is something that Disney might think about doing moving forward. A lot of people are like, oh, why don't they all do this? Uh, This is so unfair to people who can't watch it on a Broadway stage. It's a lot easier said than done. Just based on what we know about the Newsies, um, staged musical version as well as this Hamilton version. Like, it involves the entire cast being there and, like, acting in sort of an unnatural way, acting for the cameras, which they're not used to. They can't just, like, put a camera up in the balcony and just go. So, like, there is some production involved. And if a show has already been taken down, like, they're not just going to restage Frozen and do it again like they're not gonna bring back tarzan no matter how bad i want them to (laughs) they're not going to do it um i mean i'm a huge broadway guy um huge disney broadway guy so it makes me excited that they might consider in the future filming things like hercules which is supposed to be coming to broadway soon and you know that's something we might get on disney plus yeah disney family sing-alongs so much like I slept on Mandalorian season two, I slept on Disney family sing-alongs so hard. Like <laughs> during this pandemic lockdown quarantine year, my strategy to coping with it all was like do as little as possible. And to me, that looked like not consuming every single thing that came out that was new. Like, let's only watch the things I really, really want to watch, the things I only really, really need to watch. And the rest of the time, I'm just going to, like, do some reading or just, like, spend some time alone in a quiet room by myself just to, like, get myself through the day. So Disney Family sing-alongs, like, as they were coming out, I was like, I do not need to watch these. I caught a few songs on YouTube and I was like, uh, yeah, these are kind of cute, but the production quality looks pretty low. It looks pretty thrown together. 
but uh, boy, was I wrong about these <laughs> being enjoyable because I went and I watched the f- two like original ones and part of the holiday one, and these are so, so fun for a few different reasons. First of all, you get to see like quote-unquote celebrities in their own homes. Yes. <laughs> I yes. use that term loosely because they're like, some of them, I don't know if you could call them celebrities. Most of them are just like part of that Disney rat pack. Like, oh, let's let's get Josh Gadigan. Like, he'll do anything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, you've got Ariana Grande in there. You get Katy Perry in there. You get Josh Groban in there. There are some people that, like, aren't traditionally Disney all, all, all the time. Um, so it's cool to see them. But, yeah, we get to see, like, people's kitchens um great example little big town they're a spoonful of sugar they are all in their kitchens and they incorporate their kids into their like version of the song too like you you can't not love that (laughs) what's funny to me is there's a high school musical one where they do like a a fake high school musical zoom reunion uh and they do we're all in this together and it's interesting to see like vanessa hudgens on a balcony of like clearly a dope Southern California house and like Lucas Gabriel in like just some hallway somewhere, <laughs> maybe. And like Corbin blue just looks like a dad at this point. Yeah. He's like, he's in an apartment with a bunch of high school musical posters in it. Like clearly that was his moment. <laughs> like that was when Corbin blue peaked. And then they bring in the cast of high school musical, the musical, the series, and they like clearly still live at their parents' house. Like they're oh, yeah. just, a, it's just a blank wall behind them. Yeah. And so, uh, I just think it's cool that, it kind of gives some of these like stars or celebrities or at the very least recognizable people, some humanity. The high school musical bit was the best. And also I have to mention that that bit was introduced by my boy, Zach Efron. And like this exposes another great thing about it is like all of these people are limited by their own technology and how much oh, yeah. effort they're willing to put into it. So you have Derek Huff um, <laughs> and his girlfriend, Haley Herbert, who like go all out every single Crazy. time and are like working multiple cameras, building props, choreo. And then you have Zach Efron who like pulls out his iPhone three and is like, <laughs> uh, Hey guys, like good luck on uh, the high school musical reunion. It literally looks like he shot it from a bar of soap. <laughs> Even even Beyonce like records like a selfie version of When You Wish Upon a Star that looks like she just shot it on Snapchat and texted it to Disney and was like, "Here you yeah, go. Is this yeah. what you wanted?" Uh, I'll give I guess I'll give Beyonce a pass because she was probably working super hard on the edits on Black is King or something like <laughs> yeah, that I'm sure. at that time. Darren Chris does a great I want to be like you. Mm-hmm. Even Ariana Grande's I won't yes. say I'm in love is like, yes. uh, she, she puts in that like minimal effort that is like perfect for Ariana Grande to make it seem like she doesn't really care, but like <laughs> she actually does care. So it's like, totally. oh, man, it's just so, it's so good. Christina Aguilera whips out like the headphones and the mic rig and stuff. And is like, uh, remember me. Miguel on the same song, same thing. He like hired a videographer and he's sitting by a fire with like a rose and it's like really sexy. And they're like, they're like panning around him while he's singing it. And then he's sitting on like some steps with some candles. It's like, we're here for like 
cardboard boxes built into chimneys, not for like <laughs> like dope edits. Come on, come on, y'all. I was really happy to see a Disney on Broadway show up in a few places. Yeah, they did. You'll be in my heart, and they got Josh Strickland, the OG Tarzan. Um, I'm sure he wasn't too busy. It probably wasn't too hard to get him, but uh, <laughs> any of them. He, he shows up in like a hat, like a like a Coachella hat. Uh, he did a, he did a good job with it. Casey Levy's in that plays Elsa or played Elsa, as well as Kara Lindsay, who was Catherine Plummer in Newsies, who we've talked about on this show. Yep. When it comes to like best thing of 2020, like I would say the more meaningful thing is probably getting Hamilton onto Disney plus. I think that's going to kind of set a new standard and pave the way for like live to tape performances being put on Disney plus and probably other streaming platforms as well. I think they'll, they'll acknowledge the market for that. So it makes me really excited, but I like the idea of the winner of this bracket being something that like captures the energy of 2020 and Disney family sing-alongs absolutely does that. And so I'm going to advance it over Hamilton. You just took me one place, put a bag over my head and just shoved me somewhere else. I didn't know where you were going with that ending there. Holy cow. Um, yeah. So I was like you, I did not want to, listen to Hamilton. I did not want to uh, see it. I ended up watching a uh, bootleg of one of the last original cast recording or uh, uh, performances in New York from like a balcony in somebody's like pocket. So I didn't understand what the heck was even happening when I watched it, but I was like, this seems cool. So even after that, like I couldn't hear anything. So I, I didn't pay any attention to it. And then last February, Two weeks before we locked down, we went to see it in San Francisco uh, with the San Francisco cast. And I was like, yeah, this is what I've been missing. This is such a smart show. Uh, Chris, you still haven't seen it. I'm completely blind. Like, okay. I, I did not watch it for this bracket. And I know that Michael watched it for this bracket. I did watch it for the first So it's, it's a very smart show that has this incredible repeatability factor because there's so much happening in every word that anyone speaks that you, the first time viewing, you're like, I, I'm following the storyline. Second time through, you're catching references. Third time through, you're catching like moments. It's such an enjoyable thing to revisit over and over again. But as you brought up, we're talking about it being on Disney Plus, not the, the show itself. The show itself isn't Disney. This also dropped... In July, this dropped on July 3rd. Uh, we knew it was coming, but I don't think until about, I don't know, a month out, did we know it was coming to Disney Plus. It was hype. It seemed like it was something they probably either threw together due to lack of content or maybe they were just planning on surprising us. I don't know. So my theory is it's because this show is predominantly people of color. And this was also during the social justice movement of 2020. And I think this, this was their first step into that realm uh, before Black is King. And especially what was significant is that this dropped on July 3rd, the day before 4th of July, which is this big patriotic day. And like we, the, the country had just, celebrated some many had learned about juneteenth and now we're heading into 
uh, July 4th, which is the big one. And people didn't really feel connected to America at that time. And I think this was Disney's way of being like, here's the story about immigrants and people of color uh, performing the story about some immigrants and no people of color uh, forming this nation, so, so to speak. So I think they, they really capitalized on the timeliness of all the stuff that was happening. I don't know that it was as tasteful as Black as King was. People either freaking love this show or people love to hate on this show. And the people who love to hate on the show, I feel like hate the hype, which I totally get. Like hype can get super annoying and, and you know, tuning it out can be difficult when it's all anybody's ever talking about. But like, I'm so exhausted of people just yucking others yums just to do it, right? They just want to pick out things that people find enjoyable and find enjoyment from just to be counterculture or to be have a hot take or to, you know, disrupt the system when some of these things like this Broadway musical doesn't need the, that energy. That energy could be spent other places doing actual good work in the world other than trying to like shut down people's enjoyments. And that's with everything. And I know that this podcast is we, we welcome hot takes and I think we do and we, and we do them, but I don't think that like we're out here actively trying to like make people feel bad about, you know, what their, what their likes are. We can, Tess blew us up because we picked apart what her like was, but we weren't like, Hey Tess, you're, you're, you're bad for liking this thing. So Hamilton was a, a bit of that triggering moment when I was kind of thinking through all of this and then freaking Snow White's happened. And I'm like, why does anyone care about like why this ride is changing and why like people put in a ton of work to like make this happen and it wasn't even their choice and you're picking apart all the let others enjoy the fact that this story is getting a happy ending and like kids can ride on it without being traumatized and like just let people enjoy the thing that like doesn't make a difference in your life particularly. So that's my rant on yucking others yums. Uh, come at me about it. But that happened with Hamilton and a lot of it actually ended up being justified uh, because there was a there's this narrative about um, Hamilton being like pro uh, an abolitionist slightly but he like never was and that doesn't get addressed that he was like not super pro freeing the slaves that's never addressed in this show uh it's mentioned through Eliza at the very end but like even that was exaggerated so the way that they like told this story using people of color uh about white people and didn't address slavery was always sour in my mouth about this show like always this is the founding fathers of course they all had slaves and you're not gonna address any of that like felt weird i also don't really enjoy making heroes out of politicians i think that's dumb and we shouldn't do it and that's kind of what this does is like glorifies like alexander hamilton who you like never have heard of you never read his story you never really studied him in, in school other than like maybe his one contribution and now he gets an entire show and i don't like that i didn't like it with freaking lincoln and the glorification of civil war and that's 
this even predates that, right? That this story predates that. But what I do like is that it did take this kind of like white narrative and put it completely on its head to what a lot of like white folk don't like, which is hip hop and make the entire show hip hop. There's not a second that it's not hip hop. And Chris, you'll learn that very quickly. And <laughs> it's and it's great and it's awesome. Disney Family Singalongs, I had the opposite thing. I used that to escape during this pandemic. I caught it live because I wanted that kind of like live viewing uh, aesthetic where it's I, I'm watching and then I get a break to like talk about it and then we come back from commercial and we watch it again. And yeah, it was super enjoyable, very cute. I will say that it got old as the versions came out. So by the time Holiday, which is the third one came out, it was kind of like, we sang the songs already. Now you're going to sing like holiday songs and maybe put a Disney twist on it. One song in Disney history makes my girlfriend sob and it's baby of my baby of mine from Dumbo. And then uh, there's one song that I absolutely adore. And if it's done too slow, I'll probably start crying. And it's you've got a friend in me. When Joshua Groban did you got a friend in me. I did not cry one bit. Nina started sobbing. When Baby of Mine came on with uh, <laughs> Katy Perry, yes, who was dressed yes, in a yes. Dumbo costume and her dog was also dressed in the Dumbo costume, Nina did not shed a tear. She was laughing so hard and she said that is the only time that song will make her not cry. <laughs> it was the it most was absurd. So in the best way, though. Like, it was so, so funny. Yeah. It it caught me by surprise because during all of this, Ryan Seacrest is hosting and he's being like, you can also donate to frontline workers and you donate to like kids in need. Okay, now we're going to go to Katy Perry with Baby of Mine to close out the show. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's just Katy Perry. It's like Dumbo and the the dog is Dumbo. And it's like, where, what show? Have we been watching the same show at all? This is so different. But I'm with you, Chris. Uh, the the move of Broadway to Disney Plus doesn't seem necessarily as significant for 2020 uh, as like this escapism, bring the family together, you know, have a moment to slow down and share in this absolutely crazy year, especially the first one, which came out at the very beginning of the lockdowns and pandemic uh, was really important. And I think it was really heartwarming and it was a nice way that like Disney used ABC which if you have it, you're not necessarily paying like premier access to get it. Uh, and then also use it as a charity function. So it was cool. I liked it as well. Uh, Michael, how was your first experience with Hamilton? So I'm a lot like Chris. I have had nothing spoiled for me. I honestly have never gone out of my way to even try and get spoiled by Hamilton. Um, I honestly don't really think I've had anybody it to me either so I really went in with a very fresh mind really wanting to give it my full attention and I was highly entertained um it's like you said your first time around you definitely do not understand the storyline and what's going on but at the same time like the hip-hop aspect of it makes it not matter like it's just it's just entertaining um and I definitely get the meaning that I think they, that Lin-Manuel Miranda tried to really surround it. You know, giving representation to all these characters in a time where there was zero representation at all. I mean, 
every single one of these characters would be a white man if it was, you know, traditionally gaslit. But I think that he definitely took a lot of those historical liberties, like you said. And I didn't care. I was widely entertained and I enjoyed it. So I definitely would, uh, I would definitely watch it on Disney plus again. And I think like what Chris said, I think that this does open a new door to that. I really hope that they do bring on more, you know, Broadway to film onto Disney plus. And, but if, if it had come to me for the tiebreaker, I definitely would have gone with what the decision was made with the Disney sing-along and, you know, I can talk about that more since it's moving on. But, uh, yeah, I definitely relate a lot with what Kyle said with the kind of the escapism aspect of it. Cool. And I will give uh, Hamilton this credit with, with me, like talking about how they didn't talk about slaves and all that stuff. They had conversations afterwards that they put on Disney Plus uh, with Robin Roberts and another one with, I believe, just the cast, and they addressed it. Um, so they, they had an open discourse about it. So good for them, but they should have just included it in the show. All right, let's uh, talk about number three, Bob Chapek's takeover of the Disney company versus number 14 onward. Uh, Chris, this one's pretty quick for me. Uh, the uh, Bob Chapek taking over is like way more significant than onward's release in 2020. Uh, Bob Chapek has made an impact, which was has sure, been yeah. fairly, fairly negative, but also what are we to compare it to other than like Bob Iger, like acquiring everything he Bob Chapek took over in a pandemic year, hard to like knock folks for taking over during this year where no one knows how to act. And he's had to make really hard decisions. I don't think they're necessarily right decisions, uh, but he's at the helm and he has to make the decisions. And like, if Bob didn't take over and it was still Bob Iger, I like we would see, uh, I don't know that we would necessarily see anything different. Onward, I didn't even remember this thing happened in 2020. Uh, I didn't hate this movie. We did a mini episode on it. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Uh, it just happened. I forgot it happened. It sucks that I forgot it happened, mostly because theater shut down as it was released. Uh, so it just, that wasn't the significant portion of this. And there's also other uh, things on this bracket that just, were way more significant, including Bob Chapek taking over and what his legacy is going to be. Uh, so that's really all I got on these two. I'm moving Bob Chapek on. I think it's just interesting that this bracket's called Best Disney Thing of 2020. And like, yes, Bob Chapek took over, but is it a good thing? You know, like that's still TBD, I think. I think the, so far the jury would be like, it's a really bad thing. I think that like the changing of power into other somebody else's hands is always a good thing until we all decide it's not. You know, like I think that like a company shouldn't be ran by one person forever. I don't think that right. that becomes, right, right, right. it becomes that person as opposed to the company. So I think it's good to have this change. We just don't know if that's that change is going to be good quite yet. <laughs> totally. And I mean, Bob Iger, for the most part, universally, everyone thought he did a great job. And before him, Michael Eisner, you probably would get split decisions. You'd have people yes. that'd be like, he did so many awful things that we're still feeling the impact of. But 
you know, I'm one of those people that's like, that's kind of a discredit of all of the incredible things he also did, bringing the company into the new millennium. So Bob Chapek, to judge him after, like you said, a pandemic year tenure as Disney CEO, not super fair. So I understand why people are frustrated. They want Disney things to happen, but we're going to, we're going to give Bob a break for now. Uh, Onward also trash. So (laughs) I'm advancing, I'm advancing Bob uh, to the next episode. Onward, you know, was just really not good. And it's kind of sad that all we've got this year onward in Mulan. We didn't have any Marvel at all this year for the first time in what seems like forever. Um, We're about to have soul. We are about to have soul. So that's kind of the one on here that I guess could be number 17. We're recording this before soul comes out. So we'll follow with a mini episode and hopefully we'll have some good things to say about it and we'll have a good Disney movie in 2020, but Onward didn't do it for me. So we're moving Bob on Michael, any words for Onward? I enjoyed Onward. I, I understand. Oh that boy. Get trapped. And I think I liked it because I thought it was going to be absolute garbage. I thought it was going to be a terrible movie. I had zero interest in it. But then the pandemic hits, and I don't have as much to do. And so, oh, look, onward hitting Disney+. Plus. I watched it, and I was so surprised that um, kind of the story that went along with it, because I had no idea based off the trailers what this movie was going to be. And, I mean, it was, it was very heartwarming, I guess, to me, being a big brother. I don't know. That I that's kind of the redeeming quality it has for me personally. And I understand that, you know, the animation is not really up to par with the rest of, you know, what Pixar Disney's done before. And that dragon is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But I guess the storyline kinda got me and you know, I took it for what it was. It was a pandemic movie. And I, I kind of enjoyed it, but I definitely see the impact of, you know, having a brand new CEO at Disney and, you know, it definitely kind of trumps over, you know, this random Disney movie that came out in 2020. Cool. Well, let's move on to our last matchup in the first round. It is number six, Premier Access on Disney Plus versus number 11, The Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast, which is a trackless dark ride that opened in September at Tokyo Disneyland. Pretty sure none of us have had an opportunity to experience this attraction. Nope. But all I got to go off is a YouTube POV video. I'm going to say this. It looks good and bad at the same time. Um, On the one hand, it's like, I feel like there's really only three rooms in the whole ride. It's like the Be Our Guest room, the Something There room, and the Beauty and the Beast finale room. And it's just like, one, two, three, you're done. And you spend like four minutes inside the something there room just listening to the song and it's like so long dude that uh, scene was so long why didn't they just give us a snippet it's like what am i supposed to be looking at now like i already looked at the animatronics and now i'm just i'm just here and that kind of brings me to i think what i really think is cool about this attraction and that's the ride vehicle itself it seems like it's this trackless vehicle with a like saucer inside of it and it's kind of swaying 
with the music. Yep. And so for younger writers, really you're just there kind of enjoying the songs and like feeling the music. You're vibing on this attraction. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't really know if this is a thing, but Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, I watched a POV of that because also it's an attraction I couldn't experience. They have a scene in that ride where they do a little waltz in Daisy's dance studio. Yeah. And you can like hear the wheels on the ride vehicles, like Hmm. rubbing up against the floor. It's like a squeaking or a screeching. And like, I don't know, Michael, you're shaking your head. Have you ridden this and like experienced this before? Yeah. I've ridden uh, Mickey and May's runway railway. Um, I, I didn't get squeaking on the floor, but yeah, the, the waltz and do some other dance, maybe a salsa or something in Daisy's dance studio. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely felt like it was very similar. Yeah. So, so I was getting like, I was getting vibes like this Beauty and the Beast, like take on that kind of like dancing ride vehicle was just an improvement. There seemed to be some kind of like rubber mechanism around the bottom of the vehicle that makes it look like it's kind of like floating or like hovering um kind of sliding more seamlessly along the digital ride path it almost looked like a hockey puck or something so i mean um, put some respect on luigi's rollick and roadsters that OG, was exactly what i was thinking when i was the og when I'm like, trackless <laughs> yes. dance see that's a lot more that thing is minis is like this attraction is going up against premiere access on disney plus which is just a game changer for me i mean i am that dude i've said it before i'll say it again if i never had to go to a movie theater again i would not be disappointed so i really hope disney makes this the new option going forward for its releases warner brothers has already come out saying all of its 2021 releases are going to go straight to hbo max not even for like an upcharge thing like disney plus is doing it just seems like This is a thing now, and I'm really, really happy about it. I'm happy Disney took the risk with Mulan. I I hope it paid off for them. If I can get a brand new movie, watching it for the first time with the rest of the world, but in my own home, I will love it. So I'm moving Premiere Access on Disney Plus on because the at-home movement is coming in hot. Yeah, obviously our opinions on Beauty and the Beast are going to be very superficial as we've not been on it. So uh, observing it is really where our opinions come from. And I was getting a lot of the same vibes from Chris where it seemed like it dragged on in places. The animatronics were flawless and they looked great. And the movement was just so realistic. I loved the cue. I don't know if you watched the video, the full length video where the person walks through the cue, but, uh, you like walk through Beast's castle. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. You like feel like you're in the castle and you end up in the foyer and you're like at the staircase and the scene happens where the narrator is telling the story of Beauty and the Beast kind of like the intro to the movie and you essentially get dropped off when Belle's in the castle looking for her father. Premier Access is like quintessential Disney innovation, right? They took something that the industry didn't want to do or hadn't thought of doing, and they did it. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about it next round because I'm also moving it on past Beauty and the Beast. Michael, that rounds out our first round of the best Disney thing of 2020. Uh, what are your thoughts so far? I like where this is going. 
I'm, I really like where this is going. You sound we like you're up to no good. We still got like 20% Star Wars remaining. So, so you know, I, I still have a, a new hope. Okay, folks. Well, uh, we're going to take off. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Can't wait to talk more 2020 things with you next week. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. You know how to reach us, everyone. If you got something to say about the year, something to say about these takes that we've had on things that have happened this year, tee it up. Put it in an email and send it our way. Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at MouseMadnessPod. You can join our Facebook group or our Discord server as well. Having Disney conversations all the time there. Catch you next time, folks. Have a happy new year. Oh, <laughs>